Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. Do you see yourself as an entrepreneur? Are you passionate, ambitious, and intuitive, but do you also struggle with mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual distress? If so, you're going to want to hear what our guest on this episode, Jessica Carson, has to say. Jessica is a thought leader in the psychology of entrepreneurs and creators. She has a background in psychology, neuroscience, startups, venture capital, and mindfulness. She's the director of innovation at the American Psychological Association and author of the new book, Wired This Way, on finding mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual well-being as a creator. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us. Oh my gosh, of course. I'm just exhausted listening to my own background. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've done a lot. And, and we're wondering, are entrepreneurs by nature always people who are complex? Well, you just asked me the easy question right off the bat. <laughs> uh, I would argue yes. And the reason for this is that through my understanding of both the psychological science realms as well as the mindfulness world, that our energy, our potential as creative beings is very much born, not from our simplicity, but from our complexity, by the amount of dimensionality we have within our being, by our ability to hold and harness our contradictions, our nuance, our messiness. And so in a sense, it's, it is that complexity that actually provides the individual creator with the inspiration and the momentum and the productivity and the energy to do their work without which tendencies they wouldn't have self-selected into the entrepreneurial or creative space to begin with. So I would make the case that somebody who is um, uh, wired in a quite homogenous uh, way, and that's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a different thing. Someone who's quite well balanced and and quite um, organized in their personality may want a little bit more um, straightforward life, straightforward career. Whereas individuals who are um, embracing of complexity, both within themselves and the world around them, are going to be those who self-select into these very energizing, uh, novelty-filled careers like the life and career of a creator. How can you manage that mindset though? It's, it's something that so many of us identify with, that mindset where you always want to be creative and you want to be innovative, but at the same time, it's almost too much going on at, at once. You want to do so much. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So um, it's, a, it's a, a, a brilliant question for which there is no incredibly easy or or concise answer, but to boil it down to one word, I would call it integration. 
So it's about embarking upon the process of self-discovery as a creator to the degree that you can truly integrate and unify the personality. Because to be clear, the difference between creators who are complex and let that complexity burn them, let it distract them, let it deplete them, versus those creators who are complex and they let it energize them and fuel them and inspire them, the single biggest difference that I've found in my work is that those who who use that complexity to their advantage are those who have deep levels of self-understanding and self-acceptance. They are those who are truly students of themselves and can really, uh, when I use the term integrate, I mean, look at their light qualities, their adaptive qualities, as well as their dark qualities, their more maladaptive qualities, whether that's their distraction or their depression or their addiction or their obsession or whatever it may be, and learn to work with all of it. And that's not something that happens in a week, and it's not something that happens, uh, you know, in a 30-minute podcast, but it is something that is very characteristic of creators who truly actualize and and transcend through their work. You say that 72% of entrepreneurs self-report mental health concerns. Tell us more about the common mental health conditions they experience. Yes. So um, that was uh, that statistic came from a research study by psychiatrist Dr. Michael Freeman, and he found that 72% of entrepreneurs self-report a lifetime history of mental health concerns, the primary concerns being depression, addiction, ADHD, and bipolar. And interestingly, bipolar uh, is 11 times higher in entrepreneurs than non-entrepreneurs, which oh on the face is like, oh my God, there's like a crisis or a pandemic or a plague. There's some, there's something afflicting entrepreneurs, but that's actually really not the the, the right way to be looking at it because the, the truth is, and certainly the stresses of entrepreneurial and creative work can exacerbate underlying mental, emotional, or physical predispositions. But the bigger reason for that is for, for this high rate is much more interesting, which is that individuals with these mental health issues may be more likely to self-select into entrepreneurial and creative work. So for example, when you look at somebody who's um, wired with addiction, so addiction I believe is say it's four times higher in entrepreneurs than non-entrepreneurs. I have to go back and check on that. So the individual who's wired for addiction is also going to be wired to be very novelty seeking and sensation seeking and risk tolerant. They're going to be wired uh, with the tendency to be passionate, to be a martyr, to be an advocate. And so while obviously addictive wiring has this dark side, it also has this absolutely invaluable and essential light side, without which tendencies the individual likely wouldn't have self-selected into the career in the first place. I mean, and look at something like bipolar. So for those who don't know, bipolar is a mental illness in which the individual swings between periods of low energy and apathy, depressive periods, and high energy and euphoria and excitement, the manic periods. And, you know, people vary in terms of their degree of severity of bipolar. You know, some people have very severe bipolar, but a lot of entrepreneurs have have more mild and actually um, quite productive forms of bipolar. And again, while bipolar might sound like a very fearsome diagnosis, when you actually look at 
how the individual with bipolar engages with the world. So in the depressive period, they're slowing down their energy, withdrawing from the world, and ruminating on a problem of their choosing, like writing a book or solving a complex business problem. Then complement that with the manic periods where they're experiencing optimism and energy and sociability and confidence and curiosity and the other sort of suite of skills and and dispositions that are essential for creators. You put those two periods, those two phases together, the manic and the depressive, and you really have an archetypally successful creator, right? You have someone who can kind of withdraw from the world and do the work. And then you have someone who can go out into the world and attract the opportunities and network and raise venture capital. So in a sense, one could make the argument that the reason these rates are so high is because people with bipolar are much better creators. (laughs) Interesting. Wow. You say that the light and the dark of entrepreneurs are two sides of the same coin. And I'm wondering with all the research that you've done, If you personally think that it is a blessing or a curse to be wired as an entrepreneur. (laughs) Oh, goodness gracious. Well, that's a question that, um, you know, like so many people um, who have been drawn to a topic, I was drawn to this topic, uh, first and foremost, to better understand myself, uh, because I have always struggled with these complexities and this nuance of, of self myself. And for most of my life, I thought that this was a tremendous burden. Um, And it was something that I had to figure out a way to create despite. And then I realized I wasn't creating despite my complexities. I was creating because of my complexities. And that paradigm shift was absolutely fundamental in my ability to truly create with and through my whole capital S self. And so I would say that for an individual who has not embarked upon the path of self-discovery, that it truly can be either a blessing or a curse or a blessing or a burden or however, however you want to frame it. But for the individual who is willing to do the work and become that student of themselves, your complexity will only ever be ultimately a gift. I know you say the culture of entrepreneurship is one of masculinity and Mm -hmm. often toxic masculinity. Explain more about that and, and how it can prevent someone from seeking help if they maybe need it. Of this question so much. So yeah, so what I mean by that, and there are several layers to what I mean by this. So obviously the entrepreneurial ecosystem is has has more men in it than than women. That's just a that's a fact as you know where we where where we sit currently. However, what I mean on a deeper level by that statement is looking at what the feminine and masculine mean from an archetypal perspective. So from an archetypal perspective, feminine and masculine has nothing to do with being a man or being a woman or being straight or, or, or being gay. Or um, It's qualities that we all embody to greater or lesser degrees. So examples of archetypal feminine qualities are qualities like creativity, collaboration, nurturance, patience, uh, you know, these, these sorts of, um, well, more sort of archetypally feminine qualities, whereas archetypally masculine qualities are more like aggression, 
uh, independence, um, being more cutthroat, being more stoic, not uh, showing your emotions as much. And so, you know, what we've seen in the entrepreneurial ecosystem is this culture of hustle and crush it and keep calm and carry on and, you know, no time for tears sort of mentality. And we've seen a lot of, uh, you know, mostly male thought leaders, but some female thought leaders as well, who really push this notion forward of, you know, you just have to swallow your emotions and, and just keep creating despite what comes your way. And frankly, what this is resulting in is an, uh, uh, you know, increase in mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual suffering because individuals uh, find themselves forcing themselves to suppress their emotions, to suppress their feelings. Um, and of course, this can result in a whole mess of things ranging from, uh, you know, depression and anxiety and sleeplessness to stress-related illness. Um, you know, this is what happens when we hold emotions inside of our body without letting ourselves really feel and release and express them. And I found this to be particularly um, true and reinforced by the hierarchy of venture capital. Uh, you know, because at the end of the day, entrepreneurs care very much about what an investor will think about them or how they will be perceived because they are the ones who have the ability to allow their company to sink or swim. And so, a lot of times what you will see is the entrepreneur creator, frankly, managing their impression to such an extent so that they may look impressive in front of an investor uh, when the reality is, is far from it. And this can do damage not only to the individual creator, but obviously to the business and then to the, you know, the value of the company. So it's, it's really in the highest good of all individuals in the ecosystem, whether it's an investor or it's an entrepreneur or it's an employee in a company for there to be more emotional expressiveness, more archetypally feminine qualities. Because right now what we're seeing is, is largely a sickness because of the, the masculine stoicism and the suppression that has become so common. We look up to these top entrepreneurs so much for guidance in terms of, is it okay to be public about mental health issues? And can we express the fact that we're struggling? And it seems to me with what you were just saying, like after founders get some funding, they feel more able to be themselves and they can say, okay, I've got some money. So now I can show the world, Hey, I'm struggling. And you know, maybe that'll make a difference for other people. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that technology has changed the mental health field a lot because it's become more widely used. Can you talk to us a little about that? Really interesting question and one that overlays a lot with my work as the Director of Innovation at the American Psychological Association. So this talk is now being recorded during the time of COVID-19. Um, hopefully by the time it's out or being listened to, that's no longer the case. We shall see. But what's been interesting about this pandemic is that it has removed so many of the barriers to the adoption of mental health and behavioral health technologies and has also gone a long way in terms of normalizing the use of this technology and one might even say um, decreasing the stigma even more. And I think that in the years leading up to COVID, you know, what we first saw was sort of this explosion in mindfulness uh, apps or companies, you know, whether it's a headspace or 
something along those lines. And then that kind of opened the door to talking about well-being. And then from there, we were able to start talking about things more specifically related to mental health. Um, but I think that the, the more these um, companies can crop up and improve the accessibility, the affordability of a mental health care services, I mean, it's just, it's a win for everyone, you know, and I would, uh, the only caveat that I would put on that. Well, there are a few caveats I would put on that, but the main one would be um, just to be very wary of the the technologies that you do use. Um, you know, just be sure that you're seeing a provider with credentials that you're comfortable with and uh, they're using a, a method or a practice or a technique that is rooted in science and research and all that good stuff. Well, how do you see the pandemic overall affecting creators and entrepreneurial activity? Mm, oh, so such a good question. I mean, I'm really very, very excited by what will happen from this very, very pregnant pause that we are in right now. Because when you look at um, pandemics historically, there were often creative epochs that emerged on the other side of these crises. And so whether it was the Black Death or the Spanish flu, what we would see on the other side of these pandemics were creative renaissances, resurgences of intellectual and the creative spirit. And, you know, that, that, that could likely be due to a multitude of reasons, whether it's, you know, the need to create a new normal and the freedom and the expansiveness that comes with that, or it's the fact that people were forced into a period of creative isolation where they could really start cooking up some new skills and trades. You know, I just have been so inspired seeing my, my friends and my colleagues take up new creative hobbies and, and find new passions. And so I would say looking at the pandemic from the perspective of glass half full, using this time to really conceive and, and to really ripen whatever this Thing will be that you bring into the world on the other side. And also very excited by the idea of working in a world where we are not all going to be forced to, to go into offices because frankly, you know, for the creative spirit that is often very sensitive and very aware of its environment and very sort of easily overstimulated because of this refined, intelligent nervous system that creators often have, the design of crowded co-working spaces or noisy office environments, open office environments, isn't always conducive to maximum creativity. And so I'm really excited about the idea of people really moving back into a more natural way of creating, you know, creating in a beautiful, comfortable environment in their homes, perhaps in nature, designing an environment that's very conducive to the unique conduit for creation that they are um, so that they can truly bring in uh, uh, what they're meant to create in the world. In a, in a way that feels very comfortable uh, to their minds and to their nervous systems. Um, so all in all, I'm, I'm quite bullish on what the pandemic will produce on the, on the other side. And I also think final point uh, would be, hopefully we see an increase in truly authentic companies. Because I think that what we were seeing pre-pandemic was this surge of companies just for the sake of creating a company, you know, and I'm going to use uh, the example yeah. 
uh, you know, I'm going to start a dog walking app just because I want to be an entrepreneur. And I, you know, don't, don't get me wrong. If dog walking app is like your passion, then like do that. But I feel like a lot of people were just creating companies for the sake of creating companies. And now it's going to happen in this new normal is whatever isn't essential is going to fall by the wayside. And so ultimately my hope is that we will see a more natural alignment between people's true passions and the companies they create versus just doing it for the sake of saying, I'm a founder. Yeah. And based on everything you're saying, I have thought about the fact that I think on the other side of this pandemic, you're going to see that people who were burning out maybe are going to have a renewed energy because like you mentioned, they're not having to go into a crowded office, a crowded workspace. And maybe if they're experiencing burnout, it's going to be more acceptable for them to take a vacation or go to mom and dad's house and make it so that they aren't burned out. But if somebody is feeling burnout, what do you suggest they do about it? You had some great thoughts. Yeah. Well, you know, and I have so much empathy for someone who has burned out uh, really in, in every different way someone can burn out at different points in my, my life. I, I have a tremendous amount of empathy. And so I think, oh, you know, the, the biggest um, and most significant piece of advice, which is much easier said than done, is to leave a tremendous amount of room for patience and self-compassion. Because one of the ways in which creators are wired is to be extraordinarily achievement-oriented. And it can feel that when we are not constantly producing, we are falling behind. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, we often have to leave uh, um you know, a space, a pause, a gap, um, in order to then step into our next thing. So I, if I could, you know, give any advice for those who are burned out, I would say, give yourself utter and complete permission to, um, get off the computer for a week, to go into nature, to reconnect, to recharge, to uh, adopt and explore some mindfulness practices, whether it's something that's commonplace like meditation or it's something that's maybe a little bit more new to you, like um, using art therapy or dream work or fun things like that that can really give you a richer and more symbolic perspective of what you are meant to do next because you know i think that we only really feel burned out when we start getting too distance from our core why um and many of these practices um again painting writing dream analysis working with symbology can connect us back working with archetypes can connect us back to that core and central why You also contend that the body is an essential part of the creative process. Tell us more about that. Well, so I have a very sweet, sensitive body that um, lets me know whenever I am not creating in an authentic and aligned way. And that has shown up in many um, dramatic instances for me, um, of course, because we uh, teach best what we most need to learn and we can only teach what we ourselves have experienced. And so for me, that is manifested as everything from an eating disorder to hormonal imbalance to hair loss to all sorts of things. But really, um, on the other side of that, what what the you know the bigger message was was my body was waiting for me to be on its side and to create not despite my body but through and with my body. And so, uh, what I mean by this on a little bit more of a specific scientific granular level is, um, you know. 
we, you know, we all know that we have a, a nervous system and it is through our nervous system that we are constantly perceiving and receiving, whether that's, um, you know, connecting dots or noticing patterns or uh, uh, sensing trends and creators tend to be really, really good at that. And those are the insights that they pull into their systems, rearrange inside of their, inside of their selves and then share in a new and innovative way through their work. And so this requires on a very, very real level, the body to be an active participant. And very often when we get burned out, that's a result of the nervous system taking in too much information without us really respecting the conduit with which that information is coming uh, into. And, you know, it can be sort of thought of as like um, leaving a, a, a radio out in the rain. You know, the, uh, this, the, mechanics inside of it is no longer going to be able to pick up uh, and and send out the signal as clearly as it once did. And so we have to be very mindful of taking care of our body, specifically our nervous system. So this is where doing things like breath work, like meditation, like spending time in nature, like grounding ourselves through warming food and drinks, warming scents, time with animals, um, you know, being in warm environments, these sorts of things can help us anchor our nervous system when we're feeling a little bit too airy or out of our bodies in sort of that creative space, but not really anchored. And again, we are the vessels for creation. We are the conduits for creation. But at the end of the day, we also have to create in the material world, right? Like we have to play on this earthly plane. So we have to like abide by the laws of physics and reality. So we have to really view our bodies as an essential part of our mechanics as, as a creator and, and honoring our bodies um, with the same respect that we would any other aspect of our companies, because it is absolutely vital. A lot of the best entrepreneurs operate on somewhat of a genius level, and it's hard for them to communicate to their employees their exact vision because they just can't understand why they don't get it. What <laughs> tools would you, would you have? What would you suggest for these entrepreneurs to have better communication skills? What can they do? Oh, cool question. Yeah. So, so well, so a few things on that. Um, there's a really cool study that came out a few years ago um, that was looking at what is called the hyperbrain hyperbody theory of integration. And basically the study found that individuals with high IQs are more likely to experience both psychological and physiological illness. This goes back to their uh, uh, very sensitive nervous systems in nervous system, including the brain that's constantly working over time. Um, and so the nervous system can get run raw by that state of constant awareness. And so what many of these, uh, you know, as, as you mentioned, like genius level creators don't always realize is that not everyone's nervous system is operating at that cadence. Um, you also get the incredible creative mind that's just connecting the dots at the speed of light and not uh, always fully able to anchor it and ground it into reality. And so here, this is where contrast becomes extremely important. So I would never tell a genius creator that they have to somehow stifle their creative minds. But what I would say is that if that is their way of operating in the world, that it is essential for them to develop tools, practices, and people who can help 
ground that, right? So it's all about harnessing the power of opposites. So if you have a creator who's operating in this uh, airy-fairy state of creativity and potentiality, they need to balance that out with a co-founder or a partner or an employee who is going to be very detail-oriented, very practical, very grounded, very stable. Um, They can, again, also try to anchor some of that floatiness through mindfulness practices that really bring them into the body. Um, Of course, there are things you can do like, you know, getting better at following schedules and calendars and things like that. But, you know, those those tips aren't as interesting to me as some of the more intra and interpersonal tips. And those, those who create a company or a product may not be the best ones to run it. Correct. Correct. Oh, gosh. Well, sure. I mean, there is absolutely a difference between the founder persona and the CEO persona. And there are very few creators who um, can truly, fluently, successfully bridge both personas. So the founder persona is going to be that high-risk tolerance high openness to experience, high passion, high achievement orientation, high disagreeability kind of personality, whereas the CEO is going to be more of that practical, grounded, um, conscientious, orderly, um, kind of trains run on time personality. (laughs) And so if you can have both of those in the same person, I mean, well, then you have same XYZ successful uh, uh, CEO today. But Oftentimes that does require compromise and a balance and and it requires enough self-awareness as well as enough humility to be able to look for someone who complements, not duplicates your unique strengths because you do not need to change or fix your wiring, uh, but you can find some complementary wiring to, to dance alongside of you. And Jessica, at the end of each show, we ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? So, I mean, you've written an entire book about the wiring of entrepreneurs. So I know there are a lot of nobody told me lessons, but what would you say is the most important one that you would like to pass on to all of us? I wish somebody had told me that I am allowed to be all of it. I wish somebody had told me that if I was working in venture capital, that didn't mean I had to be a tough, stoic girl in the boys clubhouse. I wish someone had told me that if I was going to be a creative, that didn't mean I had to be an airy, flowery chick. I wish (laughs) that I wish that I was told that I can be all of it. I can be all of the contradictions and that's not a weakness. That's a fortification. Wow. I love that. And Jessica, how can people connect with you on social media and the internet? Yeah. So, uh, well, you can buy my book, Wired This Way, on Amazon. You can follow me on Instagram, jessica.m.carson, and you can view my website, jessicacarson.co. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Jessica. We have just had the best time talking with you and we have so many more questions we wish (laughs) we could have asked you. It's just so fascinating to talk about the wiring of people who are like our audience. And I think we all, we all can benefit from Uh, it. You'll have to come back again. Oh, I would love to. (laughs) Again, our guest has been Jessica Carson and her book is called Wired This Way on finding mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual well-being as a creator. And again, her website is jessicacarson.co. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us.
If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.